my show of hands, how many of you guys have ever heard of Proxemix? <laughs> Proxemix? The, the, the study of Proxemix? Okay, so you may have guessed, based on the word Proxemix, that it has to do with proximity, okay? If that's what you're thinking, then you are correct. So Proxemix is the study of the amount of space between people and how that changes their interactions and how that sends relationship cues. All right, so there, there are people who get degrees in proxemics, which is something I didn't know until I was doing research for the sermon. But if you don't have to go to college to know about proxemics, right? If you have a sibling, you are very aware that there is a way to invade your personal space. Okay. Right. How many of you have ever had your personal space invaded by someone you loved dearly and was very frustrated at them while it was happening? Uh, in fact, now that I'm looking at Amber and Mackenzie, I remember a story, tell me if I got this right, that Kyle used to put a pillow between Mackenzie and himself in car rides so that they wouldn't have to touch. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> there, there are categories of space, and, and I'm going to inform you of them. So the first one is what uh, these very smart people have labeled the intimate space zone. Okay? That is zero to 18 inches. All right? So if you can touch them, they're essentially in your intimate space zone. I often find Nene in my intimate space zone, and I'm not sure how he gets there. <laughs> he just shows up. Joe Denton, too. Uh, he's not here. I was wishing he was going to be here, but sometimes he's just like, I turn around, and he's just right there. I'm like, how did you get here? He's sneaky. He's sneaky. <laughs> I'm going to let you say that, not me. And then there's the social distance zone, all right? That's, um, or excuse me, the next one is personal space zone, and that's 18 inches to 48 inches. Um, and that is normally where um, we find close friends, we find family in that personal space zone. And then there's the social distance zone, which is 4 to 12 feet, which is usually used for uh, acquaintances, like personal business, meetings, those kinds of things. And then the last one is the public distance zone, which is considered being 12 and 25 feet. And this is usually reserved for a formal interaction, like someone teaching, for example, or preaching. So the next time someone is within four feet of you, you have the scientific evidence and, and proof to say you are invading my personal space. Right? So the next time... Graves family specifically. The next time the kids are arguing about personal space, it is valid. And there's, there's a scientific study behind what you are saying here, okay? So, I'd, I would imagine, talking about getting personal, I would imagine that all of us would want a more personal relationship with God, correct? Right? We want to be closer to him. With people, that's easy. You just walk closer to them, right? So if, I, if I'm here, everyone's probably really comfortable. But 
as I approach it, especially in this situation, it gets a little more uncomfortable. And if I'm just standing here, and it's weird, right? It's a little weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to leave that to Tanner. So, with people, it's easy. If you want to get close to someone, you just get close to them. But God doesn't exist at one point in space, right? So you can't simply just move closer to him. But at the same time, the Bible talks about him having this everywhere, all the time kind of presence. And so, in a sense, we can't get any closer to him. So why do we sometimes feel like he isn't personal, right? Why don't we feel close to him? Why does it appear that we sometimes lack a personal contact with the God we choose to worship, that we worship and we know is here? So I guess my question is, if we can't get closer to him in space, if we can't close that gap physically by moving, like the scientists recommend in these categories as we get closer, right? Well... How then do we do it? Well, I think there is a verse here that is going to help bring us into this topic. All right, So I'm just going to read it for you. There's 2 Timothy 3.16. You may have heard this before. Uh, will you go to the next slide, please, for me? You might have to click on the program. Okay, perfect. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All right, so while we talk a little bit more about this verse, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy 3, because we're going to spend some time there this morning. So in your translation, 2 Timothy 3 might say something like, all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is uh, given by the inspiration of God. And the reason that there's uh, quite a variation in how this is translated is because the word God breathed, theonoustos, is only used once in Scripture. All right, This Greek word is only used once. So there's no other references to help translate it. It's kind of this compound word that Paul made up here. So uh, you have to click on the program if I can't progress the slides. Perfect. Okay. Theonoustos. Uh, go ahead and click the next two. That would be helpful. Okay. So theo is this Greek word that means God. It's just what it means. And then pneuma is this, uh, this noun that means breath, wind, or spirit. And so theonoustos, this, this God breathe that we see here in 2 Timothy 3, just literally means God breathed. All right, so... How do we get close to God? How do we get intimate with him? How do we draw near to him? Well, we get within breathing distance, right? <laughs> That's about as intimate as you can get with people. And, you know, when you're sleeping next to your spouse, it's probably annoying with their breathing in your face. But here, in this case, you are interacting. When you read the scriptures, you are interacting with the very heart and mind of God. His intent, his plans, his love is encapsulated on the, in the words in this book. So if you truly want to be near to God and draw near to him, that happens through scripture. And this is the reason 
and the primary reason I think the Bible is sacred. It's this one-of-a-kind book that God has spoken through. So we're in the second week of this sacred series, and I just want to make sure we're all on the same page and remind everyone. Sacred is just another word for holiness, for unique. It's this thing that has been set apart that should be honored and protected and revered and loved. So last week we saw how the church is the living temple of God and how we should honor that because it is sacred. So today I want us to try to walk away with a similar feeling about Scripture. And I think sometimes it can be easy to lose track of the sacredness of Scripture. After all, there are probably almost 100 Bibles in this church right now. So we have 100 chairs, 50 pew Bibles, some sprinkled in the library over there, a couple extra in my office, the ones that we brought, counter smartphones for sure. There are at least 100 Bibles in this church right now, in this building. And the Bible is the most printed and widely distributed book in history. You know, from the Gideon Bibles in the drawer at Motel 6, right? All the way to copies dating back thousands of years. All right, it it spans time, it spans religion, as in geographical areas, It, it spans ethnicity, It is, on top of just being printed, it is also on every smartphone. You know, it it can be accessed on the internet. And if you just open up your phone right now, you can probably get 30 different translations. And if you wanted to, you could go into uh, other languages. And the Bible is almost in every single language on the planet already. And then you are driving around and you see Bible verses on the back of the pickup truck in front of you, right? Matthew 7, 12 was on one that I saw this week. And then you're on, look at your refrigerator, there's probably more Bible verses on magnets. You know, the Bible is everywhere, and I think it's common. I think it's common. Not in the sense that it is not important or special, but it is ubiquitous, at least in the United States. The Bible is everywhere. And I think that might be kind of the problem of why we don't see the Bible as sacred, because it's just everywhere. We have the ability to cross-reference the Bible and, and, and search anything that we want to. So when something becomes common, I think if we don't make an effort, it loses its specialness. Is that a word? It is wrong. It loses its specialness. I want us to look a little deeper at Second Timothy, because I think Paul, who wrote this book, makes some really interesting points and, and, and imparts the importance of this book. So we're going to read Second Timothy 3, 12 through 17. But as we do it, I want us to kind of get us out of our comfort zone a little bit. And as I read the scripture, I'd like all of us to stand. So go ahead and stand with me. I know this is a little weird, but we stand to show respect for other things, right? And this also is just getting us in our mind here so that our minds are in the right place as we're actually reading the words of God here. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing of whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads you to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped and adequate for every single good work. You can go ahead and take a seat. Think about what Paul just said. So he starts out by telling Timothy that faith comes with persecution, right? And then there will be deceivers, people who stray away from the truth or construe the truth or mess with it in some way. And they're going to be out there being deceived and deceiving. And the defense against this deception is holding fast to the sacred writings which are able to lead us to salvation. So these God-breathed scriptures are able to literally save our lives by leading us to faith in Jesus the Messiah. And not only that, but this divinely inspired word that we're looking at is able to impart wisdom. It is able to teach us truth. It is able to correct us and train us on how to do what is right. And I don't know about you, but I look at the world right now, and I look at my own life, and I think the world and myself could use some training in truth and righteousness, right? So some of you may feel unequipped to do what God has called you to do. Some of you may be wondering, how can I change my life for the better? You maybe have thought about, what is actually good? What is actually worth my time? The sacred scriptures is the way to find the answer to all those questions and more. Because God himself has answered those questions. And this book, this, this collection of books, there's actually 66 of them all put together. This collection not only speaks to our present, but it speaks to our past. It speaks to our future. It speaks to who we are. Today we just read six verses of scripture, right? Six of the 31,000 that are in this book. That is less than 1% of 1% of all that the Bible contains. And look at what we've already learned, right? We have already uncovered some deep and powerful things. We've only looked at six verses. And on top of this, the Bible, on top of just like reading a little bit of it, and getting some knowledge out. The Bible is hyperlinked. By that I mean it is connected and interwoven. And the true depth of Scripture comes from how it connects to itself. Will you go to the next slide for me, CJ, here? You may have seen this image before. But every single line is a cross-reference in the Bible. The bigger the line, the bigger the arc, the further away the references are to each other. So as you get closer and closer down, the references are closer to each other. So on the left you have Genesis, on the right you have Revelation, and each of those lines represents a chapter of the Bible. This big one right here in the middle, the longest one, is probably hard to see a little bit, but that's Psalm 119, and there's a lot of references to that. 
70,000 lines are right there. The book that we're looking at and talking about today was written by 40 different authors over a couple of thousands of years. Thousand of years. Okay, this is a large span of time. Many different people. But yet, it all seems to be cohesive. It talks about the same kinds of things. It is connected as if maybe someone who was alive during that whole time was orchestrating this book to be written. I can't even make sense hardly through one sermon, let alone 66 different books over the course of a thousand different year, thousands of years. What are the odds of that actually being cohesive and making sense unless it was inspired? Just look at it. It's so interwoven with a purpose. It's moving towards one idea. And looking at it inspires me. So not only is scripture our, our guide and teacher, but it, it's also a defense to our lives. Go ahead and go to the next slide for me, CJ. Proverbs 35 through 6 says this. Every word of God is tested. That is the word for refined, as like a furnace with metals. It is tested, it is refined to the purest form. He's a shield of those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. So for thousands of years, God's word has been proven true over and over and over again. You've probably seen your own life. Oh, the Bible says something about this. This is the kind of wisdom it's talking about here. And then, oh, I listen to it and guess what? It follows through. It's true. And there have been a multitude of generations have looked at God's word, lived it out, and have proven it true. I'm sure you're like me in the sense that you like to use things and do things that have already been tested, right? No one wants to be the first one to try the new kind of mushroom they find in the forest, right? No one wants that job. No one wants to be the guy who drives over the newly built bridge for the first time. No one wants to be the guy who flies the prototype plane, right? <laughs> There's a reason for that. It's because they haven't been proven. They haven't shown their trust. But God's word has been proven. It is not just what we read here, but when we look at each other's lives, the evidence of God's truth is lived out. And on top of that, it's complete. There's no need. That's what Proverbs is talking about. There's no need for us to add to it. We certainly don't want to take away from it. And if we do add to it, we interject our own wisdom on top of what God has already given us, we're going to crash and burn. We're going to be proven to be liars and fools. And on, I, I wish I could... I was trying to find a way. I just was sitting here staring at my laptop trying to type. I was like, how do I the, convey the importance of these words? I just couldn't find a way to adequately do it. It's everything. God's heart and mind is here. If you want to know him, he's here. 
So to close off our message today, I think the best thing we can do is just try to walk away with the attitude that we should have towards Scripture. Go ahead, CJ. Just bring them all up at the same time. Spoiler alert here. Number one, the Bible is more than just good advice. All right, so you can get into serious trouble when you start to look at the Bible as an instruction manual to get you out of problems or to help you get what you want. So the Bible is not a reference book, right? It is a living document. How is it alive? Because the Spirit of God is living in those who believe in him. And over and over again, the Bible says that in combination with the Spirit, God works in us through the scriptures to teach us, to enlighten us. And you may have just read a passage once, like we did with First or Second Timothy 3.16 today, this passage. But just because you've read it once doesn't mean there isn't more there to be gathered, right? It is a living document. So you go back, God is working in you, in your situation, and all of a sudden, there's a new depth, there's a new life to it. There are layers to Scripture. Uh, to scripture. We saw that with the hyperlinked photo that we saw earlier. And unfortunately, some people don't even use the Bible as a reference book, right? At least people who use it as a reference book, they're like, oh man, things are really bad right now. I should go see what the Bible says. At least they have that going for them. The Lifeway research uh, study showed that 17% of people who attend church regularly do not read their Bible at all. Just ever. Or once a month. There is, that was a once a month or never at all category. Okay, 17%. Nearly a fifth of people who attend church regularly, these, these are people who go to hear the word spoken. They take time out of their week every week to go. Don't read their Bible at all. And an 11% on top of that said they only read their Bible a couple times a month at most. That is not treating the Bible like food that sustains us. And, and Jesus talks about it that way, that it, man does not live on bread alone. It's a passage from Deuteronomy, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is spiritual food. And the people who don't read it at all, they don't treat it that way. At best, if it's a reference book, it's like that tub of your favorite ice cream you keep in the dark part of the freezer and you break it out when you want to treat. All right? The Bible is not meant to be that way. It is meant to be the staple food that we eat day in and day out to survive. On top of that, we need to understand our position relative to Scripture. That is, that we sit underneath Scripture. It is not our companion. We are not above it. We are below it. It is our authority. That means before any pastor, myself included, before any best-selling Christian author, you can't put me in that list. Before any podcast, before any theologians, any philosophers, any catchy Christian sayings, the Bible is the source of truth. It is the authority. And this means that when there is a conflict between something that the Bible says and your life, it is not the Bible that gets sidestepped. It is your life that gets changed. All right? In our relationship with the Bible, we are the clay, and it is the worm forming us. 
It is the one informing how we should live, who we should be, what we should do, how we should talk. And I do understand that sometimes biblical ideas need to be wrestled with and tested. So don't hear me saying that just because you read something once and you come away with an interpretation, you just need to throw everything else that you learned out, all right? New ideas, things should be tested, you should study them, you should look for different opinions. But once you're convinced of a truth, once you're convicted, it is incumbent on us to live that out. It is our time to change so that the Bible is our teacher. And lastly, the Bible is the foundation of our faith. So without this written word that we have, our faith would only be an oral tradition, right? It would only be by word of mouth. But because Scripture is written down, we can see that it is actually trustworthy. Because it's written down, we can actually compare it to older versions of itself. We can go back thousands of years, open up an English translation, and look at how the words are, and go back to an older translation in a different language, the original, and say, oh, these are the same things. It's just crazy. The integrity of Scripture is absolutely mind-boggling. Even outside of faith, just as a historical document, it is extremely, extremely unique with how well it's been preserved and how long it has been around. I, I think this is one thing that gives us the confidence that we need to build our life on this book. Not only is it trustworthy historically, but it is also trustworthy in how it's lived out in the people around you. And all of that gives us the reason today to look at this, this book as not just something that we get to read, but something that we have to read. The, the foundation of our life. And we owe so much to it. Because of the Bible... We can know who we truly are. Because of the Bible, we can know who God is. How to communicate with him. How he is leading us to salvation. And because of the Bible, we can find truth. Because of the Bible, we can have hope. This book is infinitely more valuable than the paper and ink that's used to make it. Because it comes from the mind of God. It is a source document from the living God. So if you're looking to get closer to him, if you want to be closer to God, open up his word and read it. On that note, please pray with me. God, as we are here talking to you this morning, I pray that you speak back to us through your word. That you give us a hunger for it. That we look to it, not just when we need it, but as our daily sustenance. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.